Well, last week we discovered that the Great Commission is our Great Commission. We, collectively, are the ones who have been commissioned to go, to disciple the nations, to baptize, and to teach. In short, you and I have been commissioned to evangelize the world, beginning where we are. So how do you feel about that? Do you even want to think of yourself as an evangelist? You know, back in the heyday of televangelists, the only occupations that were ranked lower for their honesty and integrity were organized crime bosses and drug dealers. So do we want to be identified as an evangelist? You know, I really don't know the status of televangelists today since I seldom, if if ever, watch them. I didn't even know that Jim Baker was out of prison and back on TV until I was asked my opinion of a Jewish rabbi who's written several books on prophecy. I did an internet search to find him and found videos of him being interviewed on the new Jim Baker show. So I'm, I'm not a, a big fan of televangelism. But as I've made known recently, I did watch one of the first televangelists, Fulton J. Sheen, back in the 50s. He's no longer with us except on YouTube. But I don't believe his honesty or integrity was ever questioned. In fact, he's now being considered for sainthood in the Catholic Church. Billy Graham is another evangelist who maintained his integrity in the public eye, and I'm sure that there are others. But even if we do get over the public stigma attached to evangelism, we still have to get over our fear of doing it. And if we are going to take the Great Commission personally, we are going to have to become involved in personal evangelism. Now, that is a concept that really does make us nervous, especially if we've been involved in a church that stresses the importance of personal evangelism. The problem, I believe, however, is that we've been presented with only one picture of what personal evangelism should look like. Just last week, Mark and I were moving things around in the library for Bill's class when I found several copies of The Personal Evangelist, written back in 1964. I'm pretty sure that we used that book for a class on personal evangelism some 30 or 40 years ago. And in the first chapter, the author makes an excellent case for personal evangelism. The clear intention of Jesus is that every Christian is to be a proclaimer of his good news. Every Christian is intended to be a minister and evangelist commissioned to do this work. If you are a Christian, this means you. Before you throw your hands up, In horror at the thought, remember that the Lord has never asked anything unreasonable or impossible of you. It is easy to convince ourselves that 
because we attend the services and meetings of the church, give our money and serve with our talents in some fashion, we have done enough. We leave the work of evangelism to the preacher or other special people. This is a far cry from the New Testament concept, which says to all Christians, you are my witnesses. Who can argue with that? The Great Commission is our Great Commission, a commission given to all of us. The problem with the book, and the reason we stopped using it, is that it basically teaches only one form of personal evangelism, going out and knocking on doors. Instruction is given in the book on how to find prospects, how to conduct an interview in a way to keep everything positive, how to deal with excuses, and how to lead someone to make a decision and sign that decision card. Even I'm not comfortable with evangelizing like that. And so over the years, we've explored other avenues of evangelism. We we explored friendship evangelism and lifestyle evangelism. In friendship evangelism, we were encouraged to intentionally make friends of unbelievers and then share our faith with them. That seems right and logical. But I ran into a problem with that when, when a neighbor I intentionally befriended felt I had simply become his friend to get him in church. And he was partially right. The problem with lifestyle evangelism, where we just live our faith and hope somebody asks us why we're different, giving us a chance to tell them about Jesus or invite them to church, is that according to the Barner Research Group, to the average non-believer, Christians act no differently than anyone else. So what do we do? What do we do? We've been commissioned to evangelize, but generally find ourselves being ineffective or unnatural. Isn't there a way that we can be ourselves and still be effective? The answer, I'm convinced, is yes. Bill Hybels, founder and lead pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, wrote a book entitled Becoming a Contagious Christian back in 1996. In it, he had a, a chapter, Finding the Approach that Fits You. And in that chapter, he outlined six different approaches to personal evangelism that can be found in the New Testament. Now, I, I don't agree with everything Bill has written or his seeker-sensitive model for church growth, but I really think he's on to something with these six approaches to evangelism. Peter's confrontational approach, Paul's intellectual approach, the blind man's testimonial approach, Matthew's interpersonal 
approach, the Samaritan woman's invitational approach, and Dorcas's or Tabitha's service approach. Now, we've actually explored these together before, but Mark and I want to explore them and expand upon them again. And I'm going to cover the first three today, and Mark will cover the last three next Sunday. Our hope is that everyone will be able to identify an approach to personal evangelism that they can embrace, one that fits their personality and gifts and enables us as a body to effectively fulfill our great commission here as well as abroad. We begin with Peter's confrontational approach. Now, Peter paints a perfect picture of confrontational evangelism because Peter was confrontational by nature. You remember when Jesus first began telling the disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be raised, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. He actually said, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It doesn't surprise us then to find Peter being the one to confront the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, you as yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. When he was finished, they were pierced to the heart and cried, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 were baptized that day. Peter's confrontational style was very effective in mass evangelism, but it was also his style in personal evangelism. When he and John spotted a lame man begging alms by the gate of the temple, he fixed his eyes on the man and said, Look at us. When the man looked up, expecting that they were going to give him something, Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. The man entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Most of us would have just dropped a quarter in the cup and said, God bless you, and called it witnessing. Peter wasn't afraid to confront people with their sin either. When Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and wanted everyone to think that they had donated all the proceeds from the sale to the church when they hadn't, Peter confronted them. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear 
came upon all who heard of it. And Peter wasn't afraid to confront. When Simon the magician tried to buy miraculous powers from Peter, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon repented, and he asked Peter to pray for him. Peter was an effective confrontational evangelist, and some are able to do that today. If you are a type A personality that jumps out of the boat and isn't afraid to walk on water to get the job done, go for it. Confront. Heaven knows there are a lot of people who need to be confronted with their sin and the good news of forgiveness made possible by Christ. But if that's not you, don't despair. You can still be involved in personal evangelism. Maybe you'd be more comfortable with Paul's intellectual approach. <coughs> now, obviously, Paul could also be very confrontational. But his approach to evangelism was actually more intellectual than confrontational. Peter, he spent his early life in a fishing boat. Paul spent his in school. He studied under Gamaliel, the famous Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem at the time. And as he said in Galatians, he advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries, being extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions. He even became a Pharisee before he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And then, immediately after his conversion, he began confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus, proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. When they plotted to do away with him, he went to Jerusalem and began speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. When they tried to kill him, the brethren sent him back home to Tarsus. And the Bible says, and the church had peace. <laughs> when there, he mellowed out a bit. And apparently, he studied. And he honed his skills as an evangelist. And when he then went on his famous missionary journeys, his primary approach was a little less confrontational and more intellectual. He reasoned with people. In Acts 17, we read that when he went to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. When he went to Athens, he reasoned with Jews in the synagogue, with God-fearing Greeks in the marketplace, and philosophers in the Areopagus. 
in Corinth. He was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In Ephesus, he was so effective that Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, gathered together other makers of idols and said, Men, you know that our property depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. Well, Paul was able to dethrone a lot of idols by reasoning with people. And if you're a thinker, and you're able to present your thoughts in a logical manner, the intellectual approach may be for you. We need apologists who aren't afraid to dialogue with the world or with their neighbors or even their teachers. But then again, not everyone is able to reason with others like the Apostle Paul. And just taking a class on presenting the gospel or answering objections won't turn you into something that you're not. You may never be comfortable with Paul's intellectual approach. But you may be very comfortable and very effective with the blind man's testimonial approach. In the ninth chapter of John's Gospel, we learn of a man who had been blind since birth. When Jesus met him, he declared, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, and then proceeded to give sight to the man. He spit on the ground, mixed up a little clay, and put it on the man's eyes, and then told him to go wash off his eyes in the pool of Siloam. The man did as he was told, and he came back seeing. His neighbors saw him. They couldn't believe the change. Some even doubted it was him. When they asked how his eyes were open, he told them. And they went and told the Pharisees. When the Pharisees came, he told them the same thing, that Jesus had applied clay to his eyes, that he had washed in the pool of Siloam as instructed, and that now he could see when they insisted that Jesus couldn't be from God because he had done this on the Sabbath, he therefore answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they still wouldn't believe him. He got a little confrontational. And even reasoned with them a bit. But the heart of his witness was his personal testimony. When others noticed a change in his life and asked him about it, he simply told them what Jesus had done. And that can be a very effective form of evangelism. You may not be as 
confrontational as the Apostle Peter or as intellectual as the Apostle Paul. But if Jesus has made a significant difference in your life, you can tell someone about it. And you don't have to have a dramatic testimony to be effective. In fact, you don't even have to have had a dramatic change in behavior. You know, we're all impressed by those who have come from a sordid background of sinful behavior or who have overcome great difficulties in life. Their testimony is usually very powerful. And I used to wish I had such a past to enhance my testimony. Then I realized that my testimony could simply be sharing how God had spared me from the consequences of stupid choices in life and had blessed me with good health and circumstances. A positive response to the daily struggles of life and a joyous spirit is often enough to get the attention of those who are feeling overwhelmed and without hope. If Jesus has enabled you to live positively in a sometimes scary and negative world by opening your eyes to His presence and the future He has planned for you, maybe the blind man's testimonial approach is the one that fits you best. We've looked at three approaches to evangelism. We'll explore three more next week. I really believe one of the six will work for you. But, of course, you have to want to do it. All the examples in the world won't do any good unless you take our great commission personally and are willing to surrender your will to His. I pray you'll take this personally. And you will surrender your all to him. If you will, I'm convinced he'll use you. And you will discover the joy of seeing others come to Christ. Because you are involved in personal evangelism. We're all called to share our faith. There's different ways to do it. We're not all comfortable doing the same things, and God has gifted us in different ways. But we all have a responsibility to share the good news. We just have to be committed to doing so. We have to be mindful of what's going on in the world and in people's lives. We have to be sensitive. We have to listen to people. We have to care. And pray that God can use us somehow to to plant seed or water seed that someone else has planted. That God can use us somehow to draw someone closer to Him. That's personal evangelism. It's 
not just going out calling on Tuesday nights like we used to do. I hated it. I'll confess that. I don't like knocking on doors. But I think, I think I can share what Jesus has done to me and in my life. And I think I can demonstrate his joy. I think I can listen to people. I can be there. It's the good news. You can too. You've got to want to do it, though. You've got to think about it. You've got to pray about it. You've got to be surrendered to the will of God and take personally your charge to be an evangelist. Now, we don't talk about this a whole lot, and some have assumed we don't care about evangelism because we're not in big programs all the time. It's my prayer that when you leave here, you're better equipped to be what God has called you to be. Wherever you are, you don't need to report back and you don't need to put notches in your gospel gun and tell me how many people you led to the Lord. Just share what you're learning. Just share what you're learning. And share your faith. And share your love for Jesus. Can't you do that?